Can you imagine a life free from financial stress? So I knew this couple, Henry and Henrietta, and uh, they were able to buy a new home. And so moving day came. And uh, as they pulled up to their new house in their car, Henrietta turns to her husband, Henry, and says, you know, Henry, if it weren't for my money, you wouldn't have this here. Henry just nods his head, and a few hours later, the truck pulls up with all of their belongings. And as a couch walks past into the lounge, Henrietta turns to Henry and says, You know, Henry, if it weren't for my money, you wouldn't have this here. Henry just swallows and just carries on busying himself. In the afternoon, a brand new TV arrives. They had ordered a new TV for their new home. And as the TV gets brought in, Henrietta says to Henry, you know, Henry, if it weren't for my money, you wouldn't have this here. Henry just couldn't take it anymore. And he says, you know, Henrietta, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> not all of us, not all of us can have our financial stress taken care of by the one that we marry. And dare I suggest that there is a better way to take care of our financial stress than trying to choose a life partner by the size of their bank account. As we are in this legacy month, we are really trying to dig deep into, uh, we heard last week, there are 2,350 scriptures that speak to money and possessions. It is more than the scriptures talk about love, sin, forgiveness of sin. More, all combined, just on money, because God knows that this is one of the things, one of the significant things that is going to trip us up and hold us in bondage over and over and over again. And so we, we set aside this one month of every year uh, to really dig deep into some of these scriptures. We, we can in no way bring up all 2,350 scriptures on this subject matter. But we just try to highlight a few and try to get into us. Uh, and so uh, I, I say all of that to say this, that me speaking what I'm going to speak today is in no way uh, the, 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 what some people can think outside the church and maybe some of you here, where it's like, oh, this is the church asking for money. This is not the church asking for money. This is a pastor, part of a pastoral team, that has the courage to stand up and say, for our good, we believe that God has patterns and ways that we can live in freedom and live in the fullness of life that Jesus has come to win for us. But it requires us handling the patterns of God. It requires us doing the hard work of saying, actually, it's this and it's not this. Or it's this and that's more helpful than that. And so there are better ways and worse ways and there are right ways and there are wrong ways. And so this series, this, this month, as we, as we talk about, we started last week uh, just speaking out of Proverbs, talking about a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And we spoke about us as a church leaving, the church community leaving an inheritance for the future generations. Uh, we, we come today, and I'm, I'm just going to be talking about the order of finances. How should we order our resources? 
How should we order what God gives us? And now I am fully aware that I'm speaking to many people in this room that have heard teaching on this. And this is my request of you that have heard teaching on this before. Would you be gracious enough for those in the room that have not heard this, that it would be really helpful for them? And maybe if we listen hard enough and don't disengage, maybe the Spirit of God will just say something to you and just help align some things. I know that as I was preparing this, and uh, I've taught on this for 18 years from the pulpit, taught on this subject matter, and again, I just felt the Spirit of God align something in me, even as I was preparing it today. And so, so for those that have heard messages on how do we order our finances, the Spirit of God is alive and active and still at work in us, and the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged, two-edged sword and can actually start to reveal something. And so please don't switch off. It may also help you with some language to help others. I mean, I love the Scriptures. We're called to make disciples of people. And so you may hear this and go, oh, I've heard this. Can you communicate it to someone else that maybe is not going to step foot into an auditorium to hear a teaching like this? Can you help somebody become free in their finances by sitting over a cup of coffee and being able to quote scriptures and have language to help them? And so we can do that. That's part of what this morning's about. And then uh, there may be some of you in this room who have never heard anything or, uh, around finances and a biblical pattern and uh, I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to help you because I truly believe that there is freedom and blessing when we follow God's patterns in all of life, and that includes our financial order. God is a God of order. He brings order out of chaos. I'm not going to ask by a show of hands whose finances are in chaos here, but I do know statistically it's a whole lot of you in this room. And so God, when he speaks his patterns and he speaks his ways, order comes. And so let's listen for that. Let's listen for the order. Let's listen for the Spirit of God. Let's listen for the way of God so that we can move forward together as a community that finds freedom and fullness of life. Is that okay? There's no pressure in this. There's no guilt. I just trust a sense of release. That's what I'm praying for. We just want to take a step forward just that we can be a little bit better. We can just follow the kingdom of God. Be in the kingdom of God just a little bit more. Just take a step forward. So I really, that's all I'm looking for us to do is move up the scale in the way that we steward our finances. It's not just about knowing our purpose, but about pursuing it. And we are created by God to possess, to possess land, to, to possess territories. And uh, finances is a part of that story. So this series is really just to help us to know how to live on earth and to leave a legacy. How do we live now? I know many of the stresses and strains are going to be disappeared when the coming kingdom comes, but we live on earth here. How do we handle this? Because Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. That is both now and when he returns again to take us to be free of sin and the effects of sin for all eternity. Psalm 23, many of us will know this, some may not, verses 1, 3, and 6. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who feels like they are lying down in green pastures right now? Who feels like they are beside still waters right now? Who feels like your soul is restored right now? 
Who feels like the goodness of God is chasing you? Every time you turn around, like the goodness of God is just right there. My guess is very few of us. And yet we know that God's desire is that we would live in that because that's where he leads us, which means that his ways lead us into this. Have we allowed the enemy to reduce our thinking of the enormity of the blessing of God? I'm not preaching name it and claim it here. But God has a way of life, and it is a blessed way of life. I'm not just talking about material possessions. I'm just talking it's a blessed way of life. Peace, joy, kindness, humility. Like these are the things of the kingdom of God. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. There are things that God has put in place. His desire, and, and, and we've read Genesis chapter 12 last week, His desire is that I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And so that was over a particular household which became a nation which continues to bless the earth. And then so too when Jesus comes, there's this, there's this blessing of heaven that comes. There is a desire that we may live a life that represents the kingdom of God. And people who come into contact with us should be able to be blessed because they were with us. And that includes finances. Let us not be those Christians when people have entered into our presence, when people have engaged us, they go away thinking, and he calls himself a Christian. Four foundational elements to the order of our finances. I'm going to talk a little bit about each one. Firstly, there is the stewardship principle or the stewarding of our finances, and that deals with your sovereignty decision. Who is sovereign? We're going to get into that. The second is seeding, and that's about the forerunner to a harvest. The third is saving, and it's your generational investment plan, part of legacy. And fourth is spending my daily bread. These all have biblical principles attached to them, and we're going to go through each one. And it may seem simple, but the reality is most of us will look at that, and if we're truly honest, we'll say we're not living necessarily by the fullness of that pattern. And so let's look a little bit at each one. Firstly, stewarding. It's the sovereignty decision. Who is sovereign in my life? Is money master over me, or is God my master? The way we, our money flows if you want to know what someone believes, what someone values, then all we do is we check their bank account because that has the flow of money. Our money will go where your heart is there, your treasure is also. And so stewarding reveals the sovereignty of, of or who is sovereign in your life. Malachi chapter 3, and many of us that have been around church for a long time will know this, but for the benefit of those that, uh, that don't know, Malachi is... Um, uh, the last book of the Old Testament. And it teaches on a number of different things. It's like a conversation with God. It's beautiful. And, and one day I've got a series prepared that I haven't preached before. And it's just a, it's like a Q&A with God. And it's this beautiful interaction. But in this one section, it talks about money. 
And so there are a couple of things out of the sovereign decision. We see in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, uh, it says, God is, is saying to Malachi, I do not change. I do not change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I do not change. And so we need to know that when it comes to uh, biblical finances, is there is this thing of it's not seasonal. God does not change. Not seasonal. He goes on and he says in verse 7, Since the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances. God has some commands. I know today, in today's age, all of culture is just like, can we be tolerant of one another? Can you have your truth and I have my truth? And God gives some commands. And we've got to decide who's sovereign. Is the creator or the created? Because if God is not sovereign, then we risk worshiping the created, not the creator. We risk being ruled by the created, not the creator. And so there are some things that are stronger than an invitation or stronger than a suggestion. It's God's pattern. If you want financial freedom, follow his ordinances, follow his ways. It says, I want you to return to me. This is God speaking so that I can return to you. Stewarding our stewardship has an effect on our relational proximity to God. We can accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We can be children of God, absolutely. But if we never visit the house, there is a relational distance. So it's not a, it's not a salvation issue, but it is a relational and intimacy issue. And so there's this relational proximity when it comes to our money. 3 verse 8. Malachi 3 verse 8, it says you rob God. We have to steward our resources. Malachi 3 verse 10, it talks about bring it to the storehouse. And so what that principle is, is there's actually, there's, we, we can position our money positions honor. What do we honor? And so the storehouse uh, today would be the church community. And, and so God, we believe, teaches us, we tithe into, we bring our first into the church community. There's a position of honor. And so there's an order to this that, that God is teaching us. And then he says in 3 verse 10 as well, try me, test me, put me on trial on this. It's a kingdom law. God is quite happy to go to law, test me. He's quite happy to stand in the courts, in a sense, and say, test me on this. If it's not, see if it is not a kingdom law. See if it does not hold. And so there's this strength that God is having this conversation with one of the prophets of Israel to try to teach Israel the ways of God. And then in verse 11 of chapter 3, it says, I will rebuke the devourer. I love this. Your future will not be wasted away because you have honored him. Sometimes we... We say, like, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm going to have enough money at the end of the month. I don't know if a year's time, three years' time. That's the whole thing of the sovereignty decision. Who do we believe is sovereign, the creator or the created? Am I going to dictate how my money should be ordered? Or is the pattern of the kingdom of God, which brings peace and freedom and release? It's so counterintuitive for us because we don't think it does. It feels a little bit irrational. Why would we give 10% of our money away? 
Or we just change our thinking and say, actually, God is the one that gives us, he empowers us, as we read in Deuteronomy, for all of our wealth. And therefore, it's all his, and it's his supply. He gets to direct how that gets used. If we want to be free, if we want to be released. There was a guy who uh, used to tithe. Uh, and by tithing, I mean give 10% of his income, his first fruits, his first 10% into the local church. Uh, when he was a bit younger, uh, when he was earning a salary uh, in, in those days of about 60,000 rand a year, so about 5,000 rand a month, he, he found that he could tithe. And then he moved up the ranking in the company and he was getting paid a salary of in excess of a million rand a year. And he, he went to the chaplain of the local church and uh, he just said, hey, I'm, I'm really, really battling. I used to be able to tithe uh, when I earned this, but I, I'm battling to tithe now because it just seems like a lot of money. And so the chaplain just kept quiet and didn't try to counsel him about tithing on the principles of tithing. He just said, can we pray? And he said, uh, God, would you reduce this man's salary <laughs> to a level that he's comfortable to tithe? There's this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, and, and the disciples are trying to wrestle with this thing, and Caesar, so part of the Roman Empire, and there were taxes that had to be paid to Caesar, and, but now God's also asking for a, for a tithe, and I think the disciples were thinking, shucks, I've, I've got to pay this, and I've got to pay this, and I've got to pay this, like, what order? Like, can I just not pay my taxes so I can pay my tithe? Or, hey, God, like, how serious is the tithe? Because I don't want to get in trouble with the Roman rulers. Like, can we not negotiate here? And Jesus says, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. You sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's age old. I've been here since the beginning and the foundation of the world. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's the pattern of the kingdom of God. Who is sovereign? Who is sovereign? You see, this is what the tithe does. I love this. The principle that God put into the very beginning when he was forming the Israel community, the Jewish community, and we're going to read it in Exodus now, is, is what the tithe does is it redeems the other 90% and it releases it. So your tithe actually redeems the whole and releases it. And this is how God is teaching us. He says in Exodus uh, chapter 13, verse 13, he says this, Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So the principle was this, was um, a donkey was considered an unworthy sacrifice, uh, but, is, but is a part of your wealth. And so God is saying, well, redeem that donkey by a lamb. And if you're not prepared to do that, then you actually have to break the donkey's neck. Any which way, you don't get to keep it. That's God's pattern. Any which way, you don't get to keep it. So you can either bring a lamb to sacrifice and the donkey can live, or you break its neck. But it's not yours. It's God's. That's what he put into the Israelite community very, very early. And then he modeled that with his own son. The gospel is the son that is born to God, Jesus Christ, who would become 
the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, but at that time, there was no guarantee that any human would ever choose the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so God sacrificed His Son, gave His Son in order to redeem whatever may come, but with no guarantee that there was going to be more. And Jesus, as the firstborn, dies and releases the rest, redeems the rest, all of us who have come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, God didn't ask the Israelites to do what He Himself wasn't prepared to do within His own kingdom. Friends, I cannot stress this enough. The tithe is God's. It's not mine. It's God's. It's not anthems. It's God's. And if you choose to hold on to it, you, do not, you don't live in the privilege of having your finances redeemed and released. This is what we constantly find. And I say this as a pastor lovingly for your sake, for freedom. Tithers have testimonies and non-tithers have excuses. You want financial freedom, follow the patterns and the order of God. The first, the tithe, the 10%, as we read it in the scriptures. The principle is that when you give your first, you redeem the rest. So what do I do now? When it comes to tithing, if you are not a tither, I want to encourage you with a story of uh, a lady that was in this community who was convicted to tithe, but uh, single income, single house income, which is what many of us are, and uh, she wanted to tithe, but she hadn't been and didn't know that her money would make it to the end of the month. And So as I was just counseling her, I said, I'm so grateful that you have a desire for this you're going to learn two things through the counsel I'm going to give you. One, who's sovereign over your money, and two, you're going to learn to trust the church. And I said to her, you don't, you don't get to navigate part of the tithe. Like, can I give 2% and, but God knows my heart? I'm like, no, no, I, I can't teach that. I can't reason that from the scriptures. I can't give you that counsel. What I can give you is this. Give your 10%, bring it into the storehouse. And if you run out of money, come to the community and the scriptures teach us that they will sell assets, they will do whatever it takes to take care of the community. I'm not paying part of your tithe back, but I will take a commitment as part of the community to look after you. And so for 18 months, she did this. She would give her tithe, and for 18 months, I received an email saying, I haven't quite made it to the end of the month, Rich. Will you hold true to your word? Yes, I will. And we sorted out her shortfall every month as a community, not paying back her tithe, her honoring, and I received an email a couple of months ago to say, Rich, I'm finally there. 10% I give. I don't need anything back. So what's the step for you? What's the step for you? If you are not a tither, but by the conviction of God, you want to follow the patterns of God, bring it to the storehouse, bring it into Anthem, and then learn the sovereignty of God and learn to trust the community. I make a commitment to you. If you are in need, we will help you. But I cannot stand in the place of God and start to negotiate that you can give a little bit and not that. And I, that's not my place. That's your walk with God, and it does affect your relational proximity with Him, and it affects your release and blessing. Seed. I know we, we're going here. Don't worry. The, the last two go quite quickly, all right? Seed. Just the harvest forerunner. 
Do you know that you hold within your hands, within your financial resource, the power to ignite an incredible harvest? Do you believe that? Have you ever spoken to a farmer who does not believe in the power of a seed? Every season they put seed into the ground hoping for something that they cannot yet see. Because they believe in the power of the seed. Seeding is part of the kingdom of God. It's something of what he teaches us. So if we want to change, if we want to see change in the future, we've got to look at the seed that we're planting today. Only a fool, Einstein says, is, uh, does the same thing but expects a different outcome. Jackson and I, uh, there's just this one particular story that comes to mind. Jackson and I were having dinner with some friends that we hadn't seen for many, many years. Uh, when we knew them, uh, when I knew him, she knew uh, the wife. Uh, he certainly did not know God, but he had come to know God, and he was leading church, and we hooked up at a conference, and uh, we went out for dinner that night, and uh, it got very lavish. Like I was ordering things for them and they were ordering things for me because I was convinced in my own, like there was only one person that was going to pay for that bill and that was me. The problem is he thought exactly the same thing. And so the meal just got bigger and bigger because I wanted the lavish, I wanted to bless them and they wanted to bless me, us. And so this blessing just kept going, 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 going. And then we asked for the bill and I knew what he was doing. And so we were all trying to be cunning and go to the toilet early and try and slip by. And, and then, darn it, somebody from another table paid for it. So neither of us got the blessing of paying for one another. And we don't even know who it was. Because they paid and then left. My kids will often mock me. Or they'll go to Jack's and they'll say, why does dad always fight for the bill? Because I believe in the power of seed and I believe in relationships and I want to invest relationally. I want to invest relationally. See, if we want, if we want a harvest in something, I want a harvest in relationships. And I want to say this, for those that have been around for a few years, I am convinced, convinced that what happened with Kiara at the hospital, those first couple of days, when 300 to 400 people were standing in the waiting areas praying, I am convinced that in some large part, not total, in some large part, because God was doing something as well, it is because of the seed that Jackson and I had sown relationally. And so where you plant your seed, you can expect a harvest. The power of seed I want to say this to us, and, and, I, and I say this to encourage you, uh, really. If you take this as a pat on my back, you've, you've heard me wrong. Sixteen years ago, Jax and I were on the eldership team here. We weren't leading the church. Piet and Jen Wallace, a couple were leading the church. And, uh, and he felt God put a dream in his heart to build a new facility. And he asked us as elders, what did we feel and would we give to it? And Jackson and I, Jackson and I, 16 years ago, were the first. It was purely a timing thing. So all the elders put in. It just so happened that Jackson, my money, hit the account first. And so 16 years ago, Jackson and I seeded a future. And then when land became available in Cornubia, 
I, I want to, I, I, I say this to say that your pastors are invested in the story of what God is doing here because we believe in it. Jax and I have sown one-tenth of the purchase price of the land. We believe in what we're doing. I'm not, I'm not asking us to follow a pattern of God that I myself, that Jax and I are not following ourselves. I'm not asking us to go to Cornubia at your expense and not ours. I'm leading you. We are leading you. We've done it. We did it 16 years ago, and we did it again last year when the land became due, uh, the money became due. We've done it, and we'll do it again when it comes to building. There is something about seeding that produces a harvest, and we want to put our money into that because we believe, we believe in what God teaches us. Genesis 8 verse 22 says this, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. There is such a thing as spring where we seed and new growth comes. Seed time and harvest. Are we prepared to follow the principles of God? Some of you may say, Richard, how can we, in the midst of all that's been going on, the floods, the riots, COVID, how can you call for Legacy September? How can you call for us to give over and beyond? Friends, I'm not ignorant of the season. But here's the thing. Our, our giving is not determined by an amount. It's determined by what's in our hands. It's determined by the principles of God. It's determined by the provision of God. I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. I'm asking you to order scripturally what you do have. Let's not lose touch with the greater reality, which is our Father's reality, that there is seed time and harvest time. There is spring and there is winter, sunshine and rain. God is the same. God is the same. So on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe I'll ask you, what does your seeding look like? What does your seeding look like? Do a personal assessment. And if your desire is to seed more, then there are some very wonderful, God-fearing, Bible-following financial advisors that can help us take those steps. I'm not saying we just, we're all just ethereal here and we just kind of do it. There are some practical steps that we can take, and we've got some good godly men and women that can help us take those steps. But it starts with a conviction that actually there's a biblical way to order our resources. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 uh, through to 8. I, I love this. It just talks about what you sow, you'll reap. So if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Many of us have heard this, and it's often used manipulatively. And it's, but it just teaches these principles. That actually, it's not about what we get. It's about what we sow. And it actually says, and we do it, we, it, we do it not reluctantly. We do it because we've decided in our hearts. God loves a cheerful giver. And so actually we find that sowing seed actually liberates us. It starts to bring us freedom. We want freedom in our resources. Let's follow God, God's pattern. So what is Legacy September about? Well, it's about sowing seed. So how do we sow that? How do we sow that? Firstly, can we sow as God directs? 
That was one of my key points last week. Can we sow as God directs? But what that means is that God has to have the loudest voice. Not your fears, not your bank accounts, not your kids, not your spouse. God. Is God sovereign in your life? Or is fear sovereign in your life? Or is worry sovereign? Who is sovereign? So as God directs. And then in this particular season, uh, we want to sow as a community. And so I, I'm not going to stand here and teach that giving, sowing seed can only come into this communal offering at this time. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. Like I, I sow relationally when we go out for a meal and we, we do those things. But there are times. So uh, again, when God was forming Israel, there were offerings that the community were taught to bring. And those offerings were brought into as a collective community. It wasn't just each one to their own. It was collective. And in case you're worrying about 10%, uh, what, God in, what God was, how he ordered the Israelite community, it works out to about 23%. We'll take 10%, thanks God. But there was this offering that would come, and it was a collective offering, and it was free will offerings and grain offerings, and there were just all these offerings that came in collectively. And so Legacy September is about, about pooling our resources for the sake of putting seed into the ground for a future harvest. And so we want to be practical. What is it? That God would direct and that we would do it collectively. Reference it Legacy so that we can know how to ring fence it. Reference it Legacy. It's very practical. And it's not a secret where we're sowing into. We're sowing into the story. We're sowing into a family home where our trust is that multiple communities and multiple people will be able to come and find Jesus. So we're sowing into that. We're sowing into that. So let's sow generously into that. What are we hoping for? I'm not hoping for an amount. I'm hoping that we would be a community that sows seed. I'm hoping that we would be a community that lives for another generation. I hope we are a community that lives for not ourselves but for someone else. I'm hoping that we would be a community that, that looks generous and like words we've used that it would just seem irrational. Because it seems irrational what God did with, did with his son Jesus. And yet, post the event, we can see it wasn't irrational. It was incredibly redeeming. And Jesus lives, and, uh, and we get to have life. And so sometimes on the one side of what seems irrational, we see it one way. But once we've done it and we get to look back, we say, ah, what seemed irrational actually has released and redeemed what God has desired. Number three. Saving, my generational investment plan. Money doesn't grow on trees. I wish it did. It grows on generational trees. Proverbs 13, 22, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I, I love the fact, I love the fact that literally there is power in our hands to change our children's destinies. I'm going to use an example that um, is not necessarily God-honoring, but follows the God principles. Many of you will know Trevor Noah. 
arguably South Africa's greatest comedian who lives in the US now. And if you've ever read his book, uh, he, he does really well at uh, being able to do a commentary on different cultures and races. It's really helpful, actually. Uh, but his mom was a poor lady. And there is often today in black culture something that they call black tax, which is the responsibility of the next generation to look after the older generation. And I, I know there's some biblical, uh, there is biblical reference that children must look after their parents. But given the context of our nation, it can become problematic in ever building generational wealth because it always goes the other way. And Trevor Noah's mom said, Trevor, under no circumstances will you ever send money my way. You need to start preparing and change our generational line. And so it allowed Trevor to start to enter. So the money that he was able to get from some small-time jobs, he was able to invest in being able to get bigger jobs as opposed to sending him there and him retaining in a certain space of life or a certain way of life. He was able to find freedom. Now we know that Trevor knows his future and his children and their children and their children, if they steward it properly, they'll never have to work again. There is generational blessing. The power is in our hands to look after our children and our children's children. It exists because it is in the seed. Finally, spending. Just my daily bread. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. There is, there is within Every rand that you earn or you receive, there is a tithe for God's sovereignty. There is seed to be sown for a future harvest. There is saving for a future generation. And there is spending for my daily bread. The problem is too often we take every rand and we spend it on ourselves. And therefore there is no generational legacy that is ever left. We don't sow, we don't tithe. God has a different way for us. And so if you were to ask me, Rich, okay, just give me something very, very practical. How do I order that? I would, I would just say this. 10, 10, 10, 70. 10 for tithe, 10 for sowing, 10 for saving, 70 for spending on yourself or your family. Now, I know that that can seem a very long way off for many people in this room. I, I get that. I've worked in this environment for long enough. But I would say this, without a conviction, it all starts with a conviction. When there's a conviction, I can start to take a step towards it. And it may take five years to get there. That's okay. God likes taking us on journeys and slow walks. It's okay. But it starts with a deliberate and intentional move towards finding freedom and release within finances by following God's pattern. And so I want to encourage you that God does have a way, friends. See, money controls human hearts. It directs everyday decisions. And it determines the measure of God's authority in our lives. Only you can answer that question. Only you can answer that question. I want to encourage you that there are four foundational elements. There is the stewarding, which is the sovereignty decision, which is the tithe. Bring it into the storehouse. Bring it into Anthem. 
There is seeding, which is your harvest forerunner. Sow. Sow for a future harvest. And right now, we're doing it collectively as Anthem. Sow. Save, because you believe that you want to be a good man, a good parent for your children's children, a good grandparent for your children's children, your generational investment plan. And then spend, because God does say, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And God does that. We can be tithers, we can be seeders, we can be savers. Let's commit to going on that journey together. If you need help, please come and speak to one of the pastors. We may not necessarily sit down and help you financially, but we will point you to people that can help you in this community. That we know, we trust, that even we have sought counsel from. There are people that can help you. Do not allow the enemy to get in and sit upon your pride when you know that there is a conviction in God, that there is freedom and release and redemption in your finances awaiting you if you would just have the courage to come and speak and allow someone to help you get there. Please take us up on that offer. We want to be a community that is free.